We have two readings today that both talk about idol worship, so I thought I would talk about idol worship. And I want to talk about it in the context of hardness of heart. Hardness of heart always leads to idol worship. Could talk to you for a long time just on that, but I'll just give you a quick one. Hardness of heart prevents you from seeing the working of God in the world. Poster child for that, of course, is when the disciples are on the boat going across the Sea of Galilee and they have a storm coming up and Yeshua walks up beside the boat, calms the storm, climbs in, and accuses them of having a hard heart. Now, the disciples are not in sin because there's disciples, but they don't get what's going on because their hearts are hardened. One of the things that hardness of heart does is it always comes up with a really good reason why the Word of God does not apply in this particular situation, whatever this situation happens to be. This is an exception. And what the Bible clearly says to do under these circumstances, that doesn't apply right now because different circumstances. That's a manifestation of a hard heart. So let's look at the two idol cases that we have in the readings today. In the Torah portion, we have the unfortunate incident with a golden calf. Now, the question that I ask is, why was Moses gone 40 days? Was God a slow writer? God made the tablets of stone. God wrote on the tablets of stone. And maybe his stone typewriter was really slow, you know, hunt and peck. Why was he gone for 40 days? And I think the obvious answer is because God wanted to see what was going to happen. From the people's point of view, what their problem is, and they specifically say it, is we are out here in the wilderness, way away from everybody else. Moses, who was our connection with God, has disappeared. We don't know where this guy went. So... What we need to do is reestablish our connection with God, and the way we want to do that is to set up an idol. And one of the things that Aaron says after the idol is built is tomorrow we're going to hold a feast to Jehovah. What the idol then is, is their connection that they think they have lost. God is not amused. And what then happens, of course, is stuff gets out of hand and they wind up dancing naked around the golden calf. So let's look at Elijah. The problem there is Jezebel. In fact, today in our Torah portion, one of the things that it specifically says in the restatement of the covenant is do not give your daughters to the foreigners Do not take foreign wives for your sons. And the reason that you don't take foreign wives for your sons is the foreign wives will lust after the gods they grew up with and will lead your son's heart astray. That's exactly what happened with Jezebel. Jezebel marries Ahab, probably a political marriage because Jezebel was from Tyre. And the next thing you know, we have got 850 prophets eating at her table, 450 for Baal, 400 for Asherah. So Ahab is specifically doing what he was told not to do, and it led just exactly where God said it was going to lead. The problem with hardness of heart, very briefly, Israel at that point is living in what's called a type 2 spiritual existence. Type 1 is the wilderness. There you have open miracles. 
Manna falls down from heaven, water flows from rocks, all that kind of thing. Type 2 is Israel in the land. And you don't have any open miracles except by the word of a prophet. And what happens in the land is when Israel is obedient and things are going well, God just blesses them. And it just looks like nature is being bountiful. But there aren't any open miracles, as I say, except by the word of a prophet. And then type three, of course, is where we are now, which is exile. And that's what's called the hidden face. So Israel, in a type two environment, when Elijah turns off the rain for three years, everybody panics. That's what happens with Ahab. And so what they do is they turn to idol worship brought on by Jezebel. So an idol then is something that you turn to because you don't see the hand of God in a situation. It's something that you turn to to get something that God should be the one who provides. Rough definition. So the question becomes, what does that look like today? Except in perhaps deepest, darkest boulder, most people don't have little idols on their coffee table. If you were to make a little golden statue and fall down and worship it every day, all your neighbors, your secular neighbors, would look at you, you're right, it's really crazy. Nobody does that anymore. That got wrung out in Babylon. But idolatry has not been wrung out. That's still alive and well. It just takes a slightly different form. So what does it look like today? I will give you a piece of scripture. Deuteronomy 5.21. This is the restatement of the Ten Commandments. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. What does that have to do with anything? Why did I bring that up? Well, go to Paul. And he says it explicitly in two places. I'll read it out of Colossians, but it's also in Ephesians. So Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says the same thing in Ephesians 5. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So just like God was not amused by the golden calf or by the prophets of Baal, he is not amused by the idolatry of covetousness. So the impulse to idolatry is not going away. It is among us. And what covetousness is, and covetousness is broken into two components. One is envy and the other one is greed. Those are two different things. You can tell they're spelled differently. Greed is wanting something that's not yours or more than your share, to put it another way. Gimme, 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 gimme. Envy is wanting to be somebody else. So, for example, go back to Cain and Abel. Remember the sacrifice that both Cain and Abel brought before the Lord? God looked at Abel and said, good job. Look at Cain and said, try again. And Cain, wanting the favor of God, gets rid of his brother because he, in some sense, wants to be his brother, the one who is in the favor of God. Same thing happens with 
the sons of Israel when they sell Joseph into slavery. Dad likes Joseph and Benjamin. Eh, the other kids, go on, do your thing. But the one I really love is Joseph. And so what the brothers do is say, if we get rid of Joseph, then we will get the love that he is now getting. And so they ship him off to Egypt. That is envy as opposed to greed. But the combination of the two is covetousness. So what idolatry is today is covetousness. And covetousness is the root of all sinfulness. Everything. So if you are covetous of something, it will lead you to violate some of the other commandments. One or more. So in the case of Cain and Abel, covetousness led to murder. One of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. It also led to stealing, if you will, Joseph and selling him into slavery. It can lead you into disrespecting your parents. I mean, if I had better parents, I could be the president. It's all their fault. And furthermore, why isn't God giving me what I deserve here? And you start taking the name of God in vain. So covetousness leads to every other sin. And as Paul says, covetousness is where idolatry resides today. As I say, I can't imagine any of you setting up a little golden statue in your house and you know, burning incense to it and bowing down before it. You just think that was silly. Covetousness, on the other hand, is not silly. And we are all tempted by it. So that's where the temptation to idolatry resides today. Now, let's look at what we do. What we do is nobody will stand up and say, I covet that that you have. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. What happens is covetousness gets dressed up. It gets disguised. So, I really don't want any power. What I'm doing is I'm standing up for the helpless. Or I'm going to stay safely in the herd. You have one of these Twitter herds that go like, have you ever seen a flock of starlings or blackbirds that fly like a cloud? And I have no idea how they decided, but all of a sudden the whole cloud turns and goes this way. That's staying with the herd. And you are safe in the herd, which is to say you will not be cast out, thrown off of Twitter, made an unperson. So you'll do whatever the herd says to do. So the idea is, I have really good reasons why I covet power, status, authority, stuff, everything else. I've got a really good, really good reason for that. I'm not covetous, not me, certainly not. And in fact, all of these movements that we have washing back and forth across the United States right now are at root based on covetousness. Pick any one of them. Poster child right now, because that's hot, is Black Lives Matter. What that is, is you've got stuff we haven't, give it to us. And by the way, give it to us because we are noble. We don't covet your stuff, you owe it to us. That's just covetousness 
dressed up in fancy rhetoric. I really don't want to run your life. I'm just doing this for your own good. You've got to shut your business down and so forth and wear a mask and all that kind of stuff because it's for your own good. I don't really want to be in charge of you. Well, yeah, you do. That's all covetousness. It's all either greed or envy, one or the other. And that's idolatry. So what you're doing is you are doing something to get what you want in a channel that you should be trusting God for. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with looking at somebody with a nice car and saying, wow, I'd like to earn enough money to get a car like that. That's a great car. That's very healthy. I want that car. He doesn't deserve it. That's covetousness. The car is not the problem. The problem is your attitude toward the person who has that car. That's what leads to idol worship. Now, we've got a couple of really hard men in today's readings. Moses, without any compunction whatsoever, slaughters 3,000 men. Elijah, without any compunction whatsoever, slaughters 850. That's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. These are tough dudes. They are hard men with a soft heart toward God. They are not biblically hard-hearted. They are tough, but their hearts are soft to God. So they are able to see the working of God in the world. They are able to hear from God. They are able to talk to God. They are able to appropriately apply the power of God in every circumstance. That's a soft heart, biblically. They are also really tough guys. Notice the difference there. There are lots of people in the world, especially in the church, that say a tender heart is necessary and a soft man is necessary to have a tender heart. That's not the case. It's not the case biblically. And as an aside, as I was thinking about this, remember the two witnesses in Revelation? You've got one of them that's able to stop the rain and call down fire from heaven. I think those two guys are Moses and Elijah because those are tough guys, as are Moses and Elijah. So, one of the things that I will gently suggest is that a lot of the church today is composed of soft men with hard hearts. So what you have is men who are afraid to give offense, men who are afraid to do hard things for whatever reason. The reasons are as many as there are people. But what they don't see is the hand of God working in the world. So these are soft men with hard hearts, as opposed to Moses and Elijah, who are hard men with soft hearts. So what you see is things like the church having open and affirming movements, you know, oh, no human being is illegal. All of these kinds of things, those are soft men with hard hearts. And by the way, 
they will cut you off at the knees in a heartbeat if you go against the prevailing idolatry that they're engaged in. I'm going to quote from Chesterton. The madman is not the man who has lost his reason. The madman is the man who has lost everything except his reason. Idolaters are not necessarily stupid people. Their reasoning works just fine. The problem is they aren't connected to God. The madman is logically consistent. The problem is that his premises, the place from which he is reasoning, is wrong. But if you accept his premises, his logic is typically exceptional. It works just fine. I've told this story before. Some of you may not have heard it. It's a story of a guy that takes his car into a garage to get his tires rotated. And he's driving along a road, and all of a sudden, thump, 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 and he gets out and looks, and he discovers that one of the tires is just held on by one lug nut. And it happens to be that he is driving beside a sanatorium. It's in asylum at the time. We don't do that anymore. It's a shame. And there's this guy looks at him and says, well, just take one nut off of the other three wheels, and then you'll have enough nuts to get you where you want to go. And the guy looks at him and says, Wow, that's a really good idea. Why are you in there? And I said, just because I'm crazy doesn't mean I'm stupid. And that's the point I'm making. Crazy people are not necessarily stupid. And idol worshippers are not necessarily stupid. I was in the Home Depot the other day, and there was this young person. I think it was a guy. And the way he looked, I think what had happened is they had started him off in the paint department and he had sinned badly in the paint department, so they moved him over to the cash register. He had fingernails that were all different colors and different color shoes and hair that looked like a parrot. Nice enough young man, I think he was a young man, but a nice enough kid. You all remember P.J. O'Rourke? Anybody not know who P.J. O'Rourke was? He's great fun. He just died. He is conservative and very, very funny. A good guy. Let me read a quote from him. The weirder you're going to behave, the more normal you should look. It works in reverse, too. When I see a kid with three or four rings in his nose, I know that there is absolutely nothing extraordinary about that person. What this young man is doing is he's going along with the herd. In fact, I read something that something like 30% of people from, I want to say the age of 18 to 22, now identify as LBGTQ. But think about what's going on. That's the herd. That's where it is safe. That's where you are included. Now, the article also said most of them don't do anything about it. They just identify that way so that they can be part of the group, part of the herd, safe. This is all about safety. Just like the people who were not sure about the prophets of Baal or God. The political power in Israel at that time was Jezebel. It's safe to be a worshiper of Baal, but if you're a worshiper of Jehovah, she'll kill you. The generation in the desert. We're not safe. We're out here alone in the wilderness. We don't know where our spiritual guide has gone. This is not safe. 
So we're going to do something to solve our problem. And it's something that God doesn't approve of in all of those cases. And so what we're seeing today in our society is people who are craving safety, but they're looking in the wrong place for it. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no sin about dyeing your hair rainbow color. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is this guy was making a statement with his appearance, which is to say, I'm part of this herd. That's where I'm safe. I want to be someone else than who I am. That's why people are chopping body parts off. I want to be something else than who I am. That's all covetousness. I want something that God didn't give me. He didn't give me a body I'm comfortable in. He didn't give me nail polish that I like. He didn't give me whatever. Remember, covetousness leads to violation of the other nine commandments. So the idea when you start chopping pieces off of your body is God didn't make me the way I want. It's his fault to the extent that they acknowledge God. So idol worship today looks different than it used to look, but it's the same phenomenon. It all is based on covetousness because something isn't arranged the way I think it should be, and I may feel unsafe in those circumstances, so I will do whatever I need to do to get back into a place where I feel safe, accepted, etc. That's what idol worship is. And as I say, God with Moses for 40 days, it's not that God was a slow writer. It doesn't say so in Scripture, but this is what I think. He wanted to give the people an opportunity to trust him or not. And of course, at the end of 40 days, they, they blew it, or some of them did. Because remember, we got 3,000 people that get butchered on the spot, but little phrase at the end of that, God sent a plague. So more than 3,000 people died because there was also a plague that went through the place. And I personally believe that the idea there was God figured out who were the ringleaders, if you will, who were truly worshiping an idol. He took them out with a plague. And the ones who survived were go-along, get-along types. And those he figured, I guess, he could work with. But, of course, just a little bit later, all of those people bounced when they hit the land, and we had to sit with the spies. And so it winds up being their children that go in because they couldn't get rid of the idol worship, which is to say they had hard hearts toward God. That's what the sin of the spies is. I don't trust that God is going to take care of us if we go into the land. There are giants there for gosh sake. And so again, they have hard hearts toward God. You have hard hearts, soft men. They weren't willing to do what was necessary. So understand that you want to be a hard man or woman, which is to say, You want to be able to stand up for what God tells you to do, but you want to have a soft heart toward God. You want to be able to see His workings around you. (laughs) 